And welcome, everybody, to uh, another episode of Jacqueline Radio. I am uh, very excited and very honored today. We are joined by uh, one of the founders of one of my favorite bands, Echo and the Bunnymen, and the author of the new memoir, Bunnymen, Mr. Will Sargent. Will, how are you today, sir? I'm good. Pretty good, yeah. I've been jet washing all afternoon, and then the electricity went off, so I had to sit down and have a cup of tea instead. <laughs> that's a bummer. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I kind of had... It's very addictive, the old jet wash, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A, sure, a sure sign of spring, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. So, yeah, um, you know, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've been a listener and a big fan since um, probably eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, just over 20 years ago. And, um, you know, I, I discovered your music uh, in an obscure attic in Framingham, Massachusetts, at my uncle's apartment. He had uh, he had ocean. What's that? I just had rice. Oh. <laughs> An obscure attic. Yeah. <laughs> he had uh, he had a CD of Ocean Rain just kind of laying on his on his desk near his computer, and I, I just was drawn to it. Like I the cover, you guys in the boat, and and uh, the first song I listened to was Silver, and then I listened to the Killing Moon, and that was it. Here we are today. Yeah, good stuff. Really good stuff. It was uh, quite interesting doing that cover. So um, we had to go into like a, it wasn't a cave, it was a mine, you know, like a slate mine in way, um, in um, Cornwall, you know, down the, really down south thing. You know. And can't people still go and tour that site and go there to this day? I think so. I think you can get in there, you know, I think you can talk to them or I don't know whether it's, um, yeah, I know that you can actually play in there. Because there was some talk of us doing a gig in there at one point. A few, you know, bands have done little kind of events in there and things. So, you know, I can't remember that location of it, but no, more. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, you you guys got some really iconic covers. Um, you know, heaven up here. Uh, you know, porcupine, obviously, ocean rain. Um, and then you know, I think evergreen kind of harkens back to one of the early covers too, right? Yeah, that was the idea to try and link them up somehow. And um, the car was just, we hired that car for the video and we were ride, riding around in the car. Les was driving it. The great car, you know, the uh, Citroen, like an iconic kind of um, design. Really weird. You can lower, you can raise or lower the suspension you know, a little bit. You, know. you can actually change the, the, the tire by making the bar lean over and then you can you don't need a jack you know you can say change the tire Weird. yeah it's kind of futuristic looking like it's got like a, a, a like a, a retro but futuristic thing going at the same time kind of vibe i think the gears were push buttons if i remember rightly remember Les like pushing buttons on the, on the dash wow I'm partial to the Siberia's cover. Uh, you and Ian just—it looks like you guys are just in like a bombed out, like like house or abandoned uh, mansion or, or house or something. What, what, what was the story with that cover? Yeah, that was in Berlin, Matt. That was in former East Berlin, um, and it was. Uh, we went to this like a radio station place. We did loads of photos that day. We did bloody loads have never been seen, you know. Um, it was a. a an English bloke that lived in Berlin with his brother. I can't remember his name. Nice fella. Um, 
it'll be on the cover of the book. And we just like went pottering around trying to find places and it's sticky Like we went in, I went over to East Berlin in the past. Yeah, you go through this uh, checkpoint, but it's you get on the train, Friedrich Strasse. Well, no, you get on the train, you come out to Friedrich Strasse, and then you go up to a little bloke in a booth, and you have to change money to, you know, East German mark. This was then, you know, 30 odd years ago. And, uh, there's nothing to buy on the other side, so you know you can't change them back. We changed some money. There's me and Jake, our keyboard player, that went through, and it was it was so weird because the west of Berlin was you know it's all glitzy and the great big Mercedes Benz signs and neon lights everywhere. It's like really opulent, like big broad streets and loads of cafes open, and you know. Uh, Shops selling great big fair coats, and when you come out the other side, like you just step back into World War II, like no one around. It's all built bomb sites, there was bullet holes all over the buildings. Like it's all changed now, it's all been redeveloped now, and you know, thought out. But then it was, <laughs> you know, it was so weird coming out, and you're like, it's like a time traveling thing almost, you know, kind of harkens back to uh, Bowie's. Bowie's Berlin years, maybe inspired yeah. by that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We loved all that stuff. Yeah, yeah and and um, kind of you know correlating with with your your great book, Will. Um, kind of early on in the book, you talk about the the effect that World War II had on Liverpool, and this was a history lesson for me. I didn't realize how devastated uh, Liverpool was by um, you know by the Nazis uh, during World War. I think it was nineteen forty 1940 to nineteen forty one, and um, you know, talk a little bit about growing up in Liverpool and in, in, in the shadow of of the, uh, you know, the Blitz. Um, well, yeah, I wasn't alive when the Blitz was going on, but the, you know, my mum and dad. Were, right. Dad, I mean, my mum was still in Liverpool. I think she got moved to. I think she might have got evacuated at one point. You know, but it was you know Liverpool was a docks, so you know it was like the main route to America. You know, everybody that went to America used to go from Liverpool, you know, all that stuff. So it was, um, it was battered, <laughs> but you know, that's war, you know, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize there was, you know, altogether there was around 4,000 people that lost their lives. A, a lot of, um, a lot of cities in, you know, not just London, you know, Coventry was destroyed as well, you know. Anywhere that there was like industry or whatever or something that could help the war effort they were targeting. It's obvious really, isn't it? You know. Yeah, it's just from a strategic standpoint, sure. Yeah. But one of the things you really describe in your book that really stuck with me was just the buildings that are that have pockmarks and bu- bullet holes and, and uh that church that that's still standing, but it was basically gutted. I mean, that's that's a real stark reminder of of uh something that happened, you know, maybe 17 18 years before you were born but that's not really that long really when you think about it that wasn't even that long it was the end of the war was 1945 it was 39 to 45 it was six years it wasn't two years you know the american later you know sorted it out basically you know Um, there was um uh 
yeah so yeah it was pretty close and everybody used to still talk about it and all that you know it was it was uh although they didn't talk about it they talked about it in a sort of almost like a nostalgic way it was weird you know i think my dad quite liked being in the army you know he was just driving a truck he wasn't you know firing a gun or anything particularly uh and uh he told me that he used to at one point he used to, have you heard of the Golan Heights in Israel or whatever it is, Palestine around there? He had to drive this truck from I think it was Alexandria to Jaffa, I think. And he was just aiming his truck with nothing in it. And he'd just be going backwards and forwards for weeks on end, you know. And the Germans in the in the Gulf with their um, periscopes and the submarines would be looking and thinking well, what's going on over there? There's like a build-up going on. It was just my dad smoking fags in his, in his cab of the <laughs> truck. <laughs> now backwards and forwards with nothing. In, you know, goes on, doesn't it, in war? You know, kind of misinformation and, you know, black ops and all the rest. Yeah, and another one of the things I wanted to touch upon, you know, which you mentioned in the book is uh, you, you took a, a trip to uh, Russia, I think, in 83. I know we're bouncing around a little bit here, but you went to Russia with Les Pattinson. And how did that look then, you know, versus, you know, the way things are now with all the, you know, whatever you want to call it, rhetoric, propaganda, news, the posturing of the world, you know, post-Cold War? Well, we, you know, I was quite fascinated by the communist kind of thing, you know, and it was kind of like, uh, cool to walk around with a Lenin badge on. You know what I mean? It was kind of a thing in the 80s. Um, I don't know whether it was just like an anti establishment thing or what, you know, but and like when we went, it was a total culture shock. You know, there was hardly any shops to buy anything, or you could just buy like posters of Lenin and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> Karl Marx. Um, Trotsky was quite absent. He never got any posters of him. No. That's Stalin as well. They never used to talk about him. But we, it was like a sort of, um, it was more like an education thing. You know, went with this college. Um, we weren't going to college. We just sort of jumped in on it. You know, it was 200 quid for two weeks in Russia. Um, and it was all the flights, all the food. And we went on the train a couple of times, you know, not a sleeper train to different places. It was brilliant. It was like, I'm glad I went when, you know, I'm glad I saw it, how it was, you know, changed now. You know, you know, then it was, it was, you know, it was commie. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the... It was proper commie, you know what I mean? <laughs> we had a, we had a chaperone and everything. We weren't allowed to go anywhere. Like all our day was planned out. Um, and a lot of it was like sort of, you know, trying to like get us to see how great the communist lifestyle is. They, they took us to a party one time when it was like all these young communists, and it was like, come on, we've got to meet these young communists. See how groovy it is being a commie, and uh, <laughs> we're all just dressed in like over the top. It was like, it was like the Archies or something. You know, they all had flares on and crimpling, loads of flowers all over them. But they were like all this dishwater kind of the stuff they were talking about was like ideological kind of nonsense you know <laughs> food was horrible <laughs> no i i just oh i'm sorry i missed that last part well i'm sorry i didn't food was horrible 
like you live like i think at the time i was trying to be a vegetarian so that was a bad bad move for a start but but we lived on boiled eggs black bread and and um little cucumbers for two weeks basically every day that we'd load up on in the morning and the breakfast we'd like boiled eggs and the commie diet <laughs> Grim. <laughs> That's that, that reminds me, our, one of my best friends from college, uh, Justin, he's been to North Korea like three or four times. And he said exactly what you said. You you have um, someone's, you know, there's a minder who's watching you, what you're doing. And then there's actually, in some cases, a minor, minder watching the person watching you. Probably was, yeah. There was one of the lads that was with us. He was a bit, I don't know, he, like, because it wasn't just people that we knew. There was like people from other you know uh there's polytechnics like sorts of like universities they, they, there was other people that we uh, we sort of just all got thrown in together you know people that were interested in in going you know and there was one lad and he was quite a posh kid and he had like a nice camel hair bloody coat on or whatever it was you know like a nice crombie and, and he vanished every day i was like how oh, the hell is he vanishing he goes he used to say i've just been to the british embassy for breakfast we used to go to the British Embassy for bloody bacon and eggs and everything, and we were like, cucumbers, build eggs. I don't know what he did. He was a little bit John le Carre. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was a bit... Spy, little drummer girl. He was something was happening. He was, like, getting a different treatment to us. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a dead interesting thing. It's like, it's like a holiday. I, I rarely can remember it, you know. I can't wait to write about it actually but i i basically went to go and see the the russian space um expo thing there's like a big great big museum all the space stuff you know all the vostok rockets and all that stuff and uh like that was my main thing to go and see and when we actually got there it was closed oh <laughs> for some reason but we thought you know there was some stuff on the outside some of it's so big couldn't have it not in a building so there was a few rockets and stuff outside and took loads of pictures i wish i took more you know it was a bit like you couldn't take pictures of everything you know you had to be a bit discreet you could take sort of touristy things you know red square and all that we were going to go and see lenin in his tomb just it was just ridiculous you know, walking across the red square and we just sort of walked across the road we didn't give a monkeys you know and um this copper came up to us and was like giving us a good telling off because we you know jay walked you know i know they kind of do that in america but i haven't updated it loads in america. no one's ever come after me. <laughs> that's yeah that sounds about right here in america yeah like especially in new york city or boston or something like that yeah so I, I didn't notice this before, but I was watching some of the, you know, popular Bunny Man music videos and uh, I watched uh, Seven Seas and I can't help but see the, uh, the you know, Stalingrad Russian influence in that video. Is that is that something you kind of had input in for that music video or how did that come to be? Yeah, we, we, we well, we, we, when we came back, we had loads of posters and imagery and stuff, you know, and um, it was more the porcupine. Um video really that was we had all them posters on the wall that you know because the bloke that made the films bill butt he came with us you know he, he was with us on that trip 
you know, and, and Jake as well, our keyboard player came with. So it was me, Les, Jake, Bill Butts, and all our girlfriends at the time, you know. But we were separated. We weren't allowed to stay in the same room. We were all like, you know, the girls were, were in one dorm and we were in the other one. You know, there was no hanky-panky going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, <laughs> we escaped one night. We went. We were in Kazan, which was, it was like, it's really east. You know, it's like, and uh, we walked across the Volga. The Volga was frozen. So we and there's trucks going across it and all that. And we snuck out. And we got managed to get out, and we went into the into the town of Kazan, and we were the first sort of Westerners to be there since 1948 or something, you know, because it's like a closed city and all that. That's what they told us anyway. Um, and uh, it was that was that was a good night, but everywhere closed at 12 o'clock. We did find a kind of restaurant, and we got some chicken. It was like you know. Well, it's um, spatchcock chicken, but it's like flattened. After two weeks of eating cucumbers, the chicken race, you know, even I think the vegetarian thing was out the window by then, you know. It was, it was you know, kill or be killed. <laughs> All you had to do was spend a little time there, and you're like, yeah, this commie shit ain't for me. <laughs> Funny. It was, it was brilliant as well. We met some great people in that, you know, for it was it was it was very much a kind of like we went to like where Lenin was exiled in Siberia and all this sort of stuff, you know, his house. Um that Kazan trip that we we took off from a um it must have been Moscow in a you know, one of these aeroflot planes. And that was weird for a start because the seats face each other. You're like on a train. You know, some seats, you've got a little table in the middle and you're facing each other. And flock wallpaper on the inside of a plane, like, you know, like, kind of, it was just so odd. And um, the the stewardesses were like just grumpy, kind of Miss, Miss Trunchbull types, you know, throwing a cup of tea at you kind of thing. You know, they weren't happy about it. It's like, today you are a stewardess. <laughs> it's uh it was a trip of a lifetime. <laughs> and we, like we put a land in. Uh, we were meant to fly down, and um, the weather was so bad because it was. It was. We went for Christmas, New Year. You see, that was the, the whole idea. Was it was like nineteen eighty four in Russia, yeah, like on New Year's Day, and we um, we were meant to go to Kazan on this plane, and it it couldn't land in Kazan, and we're like farting around with the plane for everyone's you know really scared because they're, they're not the best planes in the world you know um and we in the end we landed at a, at a military base called ufa if you have a look on the map it's even further east and that the weather was a bit better there you know it wasn't like a blizzard going on but it was still bad you know we still landed just on like an icy kind of like runway um and then they, they sort of put us in this barracks kind of thing you know um and they put us in a room first and locked us in we weren't allowed to come out this room <laughs> it was very weird and eventually they found us somewhere to sleep and we all you know had like a bed for the night and then in the morning we took off and went to kazan you know it was a bit better in the morning 
for them. Uh, so and and playing playing shows in uh, countries like that, I mean, probably for a lot of the people there who may have been your age at the time or younger who were uh, Bunnymen fans. I mean, what, what was it like to meet some of them and probably, you know, some of their only exposure to uh, culture, Western culture or stuff is through music. Well, so we haven't, I, really, haven't really played in Russia. We've done, we, we only played once, which was, uh, it was kind of like a benefit for Chernobyl. Oh, okay. And that was the only time we'd ever been to play. But we haven't really played. Yeah, we've been to we went to um uh Latvia, was it Latvia or Estonia? One of them. How much how many places? Um and that was right on the border of Russia. I think it was Estonia. And uh yeah, that's they're they're a bit scared of the Ruskies moving in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um so okay, so the Bunnymen, you guys were just only there in the late '80s, and that that was it. Like, yeah, we went on holiday. <laughs> it, it wasn't a gig; it was fun. Right, right. Holiday and other people's misery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's good, you know, uh, to kind of bring it to today to have cultural exchange. I mean, obviously that experience you had there, you know, meeting people, seeing what their country's like, and you flash forward today to the, you know, all the horrible war that Putin's doing, but there's a big movement inside Russia that's actually anti-war. A lot of the people don't want it, but they just lock those people up and the media doesn't really cover it. And so I think it's good to have a perspective of just regular people who are suffering in Russia and Ukraine and, um, we have an aunt who's from Russia, and she she basically escaped in the late eighties with the clothes on her back. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's you know I know that it's like a popular war over there. They're not they're not all jumping up and down going, but you know, truth is the first casualty of war, in it. You know, like they say. So who knows what the hell's going on, really? Yeah, there's so many narratives going on, and and. Um... I thought it was interesting too to read um, how you would actually play with like World War II um, artifacts and, and like dress up and, and do army and stuff. We used to do that. When we were kids, but we did that with Vietnam gear that our our friend had. His uncle served in Vietnam. We'd run around the woods in New Hampshire with Vietnam gear. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, I didn't have any clothes. We we had a belt and we had a swastika flag. We used to play with that, like you know. But it was just the Germans. It was not, you know, towards kids. It was just. The Jerry's we used to call them. Uh, don't know well, that's what they're always called, Jerry's. Right. It was almost like a, um, you know, something. I, I think you said in the book either your your father got uh, something like that from Italy, or one of your neighborhood friends got the actual bloodstained items that you guys actually had in your possession. No, it was um, it was the there was a big battle at Casino in Italy. And the Germans were all in this monastery. They were bombing the shit out of it. We had, uh, you know, bringing probably bringing shells or whatever, you know, in his truck. And um, eventually the German Germans cleared off. But it took a while to get rid of them. And they were in the town then. And uh, one of his mates shinned up, you know, the outside of a post office and got this swastika flag and brought it back. And it was just something in our house for it. It was in the bottom of my dad's wardrobe, like an art, a thing that he brought back from the war. And I used to put it in the front garden. <laughs> I was like, I was only about seven, you know. But 
and I'd be like the Germans the road would be I'd be the British maybe playing war you know it's almost cartoonish you know kind of like an Indiana Jones movie or something yeah yeah <laughs> to us and I'm like I think you know it was only really as time goes on how bad it was you know what I mean at the time it was just the Germans did nobody knew of all the horrors did they really you know when it was all going in even the German people didn't know a lot of it you know yeah that's true yeah T you know talking about narratives and narrative control for sure um so I mean with the Bunnyman Will you've toured all over the world uh you know what's that experience like you know going on 44 45 years and what kind of perspective do you have you know just showing up and there's there's throngs of people who love what you do and want to see you that's brilliant it's like one of the best things about being in a band is the traveling you know getting around like i until the band i'd been to wales for three days just basically 20 miles that way you know it's just on the other side of the river mersey you know once you get past there uh, you river mersey river d then you're in wales and it's it's only around the corner really that was the only place i'd ever been you know until like the bunny men and then you start traveling and that's when you start getting educated you know i didn't wasn't really interested in school at all so it was kind of like after you know it was it was traveling and that that taught me a lot of stuff you know it was great and you know to go to japan or somewhere like that ridiculous it's like yeah it's so different to here And you show up to this foreign country where you've never been before, and there's all these people who 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 see you. They recognize your face, and and they're they're really excited to see you. So that that's going to be a pretty uh, pretty unique and amazing, exhilarating experience. Yeah, it's nuts. It's it's absolutely crazy, you know. And like, they don't recognize me that much, you know what I mean? But yeah, I do, you know, at the gigs, you know, or maybe stood outside, but you know, I don't get recognized like that. Um. But yeah, we did a great tour not long back, uh, a couple of years ago. We went all over South America, you know, Peru, Chile, these places, you know, Paraguay, Uruguay, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, all them. It was, and you just think, how the hell did he know about I was in Peru? I sold out. <laughs> it was great. That was really good. You know, that real eye opener as well. And, you know, Santiago in uh, Chile was really good. Really nice. Yeah, I mean, I remember being the 17, 18, 19 year old kid when you guys played um, the Paradise Rock Club in Boston. And um, I just, I recognized you by your hair. You walked out and I was, you know, I'm just a young kid and funny man, one of my favorite bands. And I was like shocked. I was like, holy shit, there's Will Sargent. And uh, I, I just walked up to you. I didn't want to be awkward and weird. And you, you were, you know, you were friendly and gracious and posed for a picture with us. And, uh, you know, and then you just walked off on the street on Com Ave and like you were just going to get a cup of tea or something. And I was just like, wow, that was really cool. I was probably going next door. What's that record shop called next door? Oh, oh. Is it, I wonder if that's still there. Yeah, let me check. Store. Palm Ave. Hey, you had a, uh, you're all bundled up in your jacket and uh, uh, in your ear records. What was it? In your ear. That's it, in your ear, yeah. Yeah. Is it still there? 
Uh, yeah, it looks like it's still, it's 957 Commonwealth Ave. It looks like they're still up and running. Great. It's good in there. They have all like oh, the hi-fi and stuff like that as well, you know, record players and eight-track machines and things like that for sale. Right. So when, when you're going in and out of all these cities, and obviously Boston is an iconic city and Bunnymen have played there tons of times, um, you have like little rituals that you do. And obviously it sounds like this record store would be something you'd look forward to to that Boston visit. Uh, yeah, because it's right next door, isn't it? It's only like a couple of doors up, you know, so it's easy. We we, we don't get a lot of time, tell you the truth. You know, by the time we've done the sound check, uh, you know, it's getting on then. It's like probably six o'clock or something. And then, you know, the gigs at eight or nine. You haven't got a lot of time, so we have to go and get some food. Um, there's some good Thai and Chinese places down that we go, always go to. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really get, you don't get a lot of time. Like, you know, if you have a day off, it's a bit difficult. You can have a bother about you know. uh, Eric, did you mute uh, the, the mics there? Or I, just, I couldn't hear that last part, but yeah. It's, well, if you get some time off, Will, and you're, you're in New England and you, and you find yourself wanting to come to New Hampshire, uh, I want to show you the brewery. This is my neighborhood brewery, Post and Beam, and this yeah. is their new Kolsch, Ice Cap Fire, named after Nocturnal Me. Oh, wow. That's great. That's, uh, What's it like? Is it good? Oh, it's tasty. Yeah, you can you can have several of them very easily, and they, they go down smooth. Yeah. You've got that grapefruit kind of vibe to it, like kind of yeah, it's a it's a little it's got a little bready. It's it's kind of it's a a little lighter. Um, you know, it's not too heavy, and uh, that's probably one of the only breweries in New Hampshire that you can walk into and uh, Nocturnal Me, Killing Moon, Bring on the Dancing Horses is going to be playing on the radio. So the owner Erica is a huge fan. So we told her we would share this uh, beer with you, and maybe if you guys make it stateside, we can bring you uh, you know a pack of the uh, the beers if that would interest you. Yeah, that'd be really good. Yeah, it's uh, uh, speaking of nocturnal me, uh, I also can't help but notice there's there seems to be you know on that song and of course Killing Moon, kind of an influence on from like Russian folk music or or your experience over there. Um, yeah. It's uh, like the balalaika thing, you know, where it's like uh, you know sixteenths, you know, that sort of thing. We like that, you know, sort of got kind of to a bit of that really. You know, but it was uh, we we don't really on the ins and outs of Russian music or anything, you know, our interpretation of it, you know. You know. Right, it was the, uh, the that quick trip uh, also coupled with the uh, the curry. It sounds like the curry was inspirational too, because like you said before, food food's important on the tour. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, you know. Getting a good feast. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like when you're, you know, finding a good diner in the morning, as soon as you're roll out your bed in the bunk you know the bunk bed or so whatever or if you're in a hotel finding a good place to go for breakfast is uh high on the on the on the list of priorities you know yeah definitely and i do have to say will i think my favorite song of all time is probably the killing moon and uh i've got the lyrics behind me of course and uh i mean you guys you know I, for better for worse that's probably the signature song most people would say 
Um, are there any particular uh, shows or movies that have used that that you like or kind of recognize over the years? Or it's been used quite a few times now, hasn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, sort of Donnie Darko, but then you know it's it's an iconic little moment, isn't it? You know where they where they managed to push bike and all that up and down that hill. Where is it? That is it. Is it in Los Angeles? Yeah, the beginning of Donnie Darko. I think they shot that in California. I'd have to double check. Uh, Richard Kelly, I think, was was going to be was going to be in excess or the or Bunny Man. I think for the intro, and they went with the Bunny Man, right? Yeah, but that on the director's cut, they put in excess in there. So I think that was good. No, Killing Moon's iconic, and and that's really kind of around the time when I discovered you guys, like two thousand. Uh, 2001, 2002. So that's kind of the generation of Bunnymen fans, you know, that I come from. But it's really cool to see, like, at the shows, you've got people of all ages who some of them have been into you, you know, since before I was born. And others have uh, discovered you guys through, like, Stranger Things on Netflix with Nocturnal Me. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I was watching that and wasn't expecting it. <clears throat> I got the play in our song. <laughs> Yeah, that was a cool moment. I wasn't expecting to see that either, but that that's a that's a pretty pretty great show, and uh, that's coming back actually. I think in a couple months. I don't know if you follow that or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched all them. Um, quite a few things. So you know, American things. I like like Ozark. Obviously, Breaking Bad was great. Um, what else have we been watching lately? Of them, sort of. This was one on over here, which was great. Called um, called the. Uh, the responder it was brilliant it's that martin freeman you know he's in fargo the theory of fargo he's a fan uh, frodo baggins i think Lo in. love actually was it that as well yeah yeah and um he um he's a copper in liverpool and he's like you know he's not from liverpool but people in liverpool get you know a bit Narky if the accent is not quite right, uh, and uh, his accent accent was great, so you know he did really well. So and it's a great, um, um, it's a great, uh, you know, little series, loads of twists and turns. So I don't know whether you'll get it in America. It might be a bit too British. Too British for us. <laughs> Check it out. Yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah, Thermal Detonator says the doors cover of People Are Strange in the original Lost Boys soundtrack. Yeah. Fan of that. They had Ray Manzarek on that, right? He actually uh, appeared on that recording with you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. He was. Um, he played with us live as well. Oh, nice. At the um, Universal Amphitheater. Uh, <clears throat> he played on Bed Bulls and Hollywood as well. Yeah, so he was a lovely fella. Really nice bloke. Dead chilled. You know, really chilled out. Typical Los Angeles hippie kind of vibe to him, you know. Right. But, Laurel, Laurel Canyon kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we just watched um, Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters put out a documentary called What Drives Us. And that really focuses on the transportation aspect of, of a band. So it, when you think about the very early days of the Bunny Men and how you guys got to and from gigs compared to how they are now, where you are, uh, what does that look like? Well, it's, you know, we were in a van, you know, the first tours in America, we were on one of them, Econo line vans, you know, 
don't know, is it Dodge, is it? Who makes them Dodge? Yeah, I've gone a line and um, just stuck in the van for hours on end, just like, you know. The, but we'd, that, we'd go to a motel then. We were always like staying in motels. You know, it was like later on that we sort of got to the point where we could have afford tour buses, you know, so you could get a bed. You could just, but I can never sleep on them buses. They, um, it's too much movement, you know, when you're trying to, it's like somebody's pushing you all the time, waking you up, you know, you're rocking around. Like, it's a bit better in America because the roads are dead straight, but over here, and you know, going around corners, and I just, I, I always just stay up until it stops, like until five o'clock in the morning or whatever, sitting there waiting for it to stop. No point me going to bed or that I wouldn't sleep. So you guys are uh, potentially coming back stateside this year. What does that look like, Will, for the next American tour? If you have anything for us on that. Yeah, we've got, uh, let's say I've got a, got a thing up, Peasy. Uh, you start in August the 15th, Atlanta. Uh, let's see. Loads of stuff, yeah. You know, Boston's in Boston, House of Blues. On the, uh, that's on the fifth of September. Nice. The blues, yeah. Are you going to stock up the Dr. Peppers, Will? For a what? <laughs> the, uh, the, the Dr. Pepper? Oh, no, I don't like that stuff. It's like that flavor. It tastes a bit like germaline. <laughs> what, what, Mike, what was Will drinking in uh, at the Calvin? In Northampton. It's funny. Eric like fixates on this. He's like, oh, Will had a Doc Peppy on stage. Or was it a Coke? <laughs> no, but it might have been a Coke. Could have been a Coke. Yeah, I, I have had it, like, you know, but it's a bit too, it's, it's a bit medical. It's like fruit juice. <laughs> yeah. So, so you guys touring, Will, I have a, and us, us Bunnymen fans, I'm sure you see this on some of the Facebook threads. We are like, oh, we have, this would be my dream set list. Can I? Can I just name a couple tunes, and if you want to give it a thumbs down or a thumbs up on whether that's something that you would play <coughs> for this upcoming tour? Okay. Hey, go on. Go for it. Okay. Nocturnal Me. Unlikely. I Want to Be There When You Come. Unlikely. <laughs> Buried Alive, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, I don't think that's in there, no. We can't. The, the, the source of the, the hit, if you like, you know. Because we've got so many songs, uh, you know, and you know, so you, you know, the real sorts of diehards might know it buried alive is, but you know, a lot of the people that come just want to hear Killing Moon and Lips Like Sugar and all the rest of it, you know. So it's, it's always a difficult one. Go on, carry on with your list. Okay, I got a couple more here. Uh, don't let it get you down, probably nay. No. That music video is awesome too, man. I hadn't seen that in years. That, that was a cool music video. You, Ian, and Les in front of that screen with the plane and on the on that like steel beam walking around. That, that was that's a cool video. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> and last one, which I heard you guys may have actually played recently, the game. Yeah, we do that now and then. We do do that one now and then. Yeah, uh, but I don't think we did it on the tour. We rehearsed it, but didn't make the list. Okay, maybe, maybe if I bring you some post and beam uh, nightcap fire, we can get the game on the set list in Boston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. So, so what goes into that process, Will, of building a set list? Obviously, like you said, your most well-known songs, you got to play those, but then do you have to fight to get something on there or, or is it kind of centralized? Like does Ian kind of have final say or how does that work? It, Mac does all the, uh, the set list, you know, it always has. So that's the way it is. You know? And um, yeah, there's ones on there that, you know, I'd like to replace with other ones, but you know, you never get a lock in. So what are some of those songs uh will that you'd like that you would like to see on the set list if you could pull you know i'd like to see that one heads will roll um turquoise days you know that sort of thing like some of the weirder ones uh broke my neck we no not broke my neck angels and devils used to like that one and um but we have played that one, you know, fairly recently. Uh, Did you guys ever do Life of a Thousand Crimes? No Dark Things. What was that? Have you ever done Life of a Thousand Crimes live? I'd love to see that one from The Fountain. No. That's a cool track. I, I think I personally think that's a really cool track. Underrated. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I like. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that? Not too many songs. Lots to keep on top of. Yeah, it is. It is a lot. You could turn it into like a, you know, like a hobby or, or a part-time job trying to, trying to put together different set lists. But you know, you guys always put on an amazing show. And you know, I'm not a particularly religious person, but um, you know, seeing your music and you know, especially songs I grew up with live is, I guess, it's kind of akin to a religious experience. You know, for someone like me, so it's. Um, yeah, we're, we're very lucky and uh, very excited to hear you're going back on the road because the last time we saw you guys was uh, Northampton, Mass. and Boston, Mass. Sorry, at the Orpheum in uh, November of 2018, which I, I can't believe it was, it was that long ago. It feels even longer, but... Well, we've got all stuff, haven't we? You know, so it's, you know, everything's been off the walls. You know, everything's been delayed and changed and cancelled and redone and, you know... Is there any uh, any update on a, a new Bunny Men album, or, or is that something you guys are working on? Or we have done some tracks, yeah. Um, we've been playing one of them live. Uh, it's called "Brussels Is Haunted," and uh, yeah, it's been going down well. Um, but you know, we haven't uh, been in, in the studio for a while. Doing some remote stuff? No, not really. No, no go in the studio. So how do you how do you will uh, prep for like a big tour where you know that you're going to be away from your bed and your home for X amount of time? Like mentally, how do you get into that space and psych yourself up for that? It just becomes like uh, before I go, I get really like freaked out by it, you know. And I'm thinking I don't really want to go. I don't really want to go. And then as soon as I go and, and I've done all the traveling bit and the plane and everything and getting through passport control and all that crap, kind of like once you get into a, you know, a couple of gigs under your belt, it's like the best thing ever, you know? And then you, you know, you, it's, it's like a nerves thing, you know, what's that? I'm going to get it right. I've got all the right, you know, I've got all these sounds, right. So, there's so much to remember like, you know, hundreds of thousands of notes in a particular order. And you don't, you don't like, if you start thinking about it, 
it becomes like I don't know, too much, too much to deal with. Overwhelming. Of it's like you know muscle memory, or what they say, you know. But uh, there's been times when you like I'm just about to play. That's the wrong bit. Shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. You know, you gotta gotta keep on the ball with it. You know, and I I try and you know do it as good as I can. You know, and that's it. Um, but I do get nervous a bit before we've done a couple of gigs. Then after we've done a couple of gigs, and I know everything's working, everything's all right. Um, relax a bit then, you know, because it sort of just becomes like autopilot almost, you know. Right. So you get some confidence. You get a few gigs in. You're like, you know, like you said, like riding a bike. You're back up there. Because um, yeah, I I feel that too. I mean, obviously, I've I've performed in front of people nowhere near the level you have. But when I've done my comedy shows and I've done my Donald Trump impersonation gigs, like I had one big gig where I had a crowd of 700 people that I was performing for, and I was nervous as shit before the show like my i had a pit pit of my stomach i felt kind of sick but once i did get up there on stage um something like takes over the energy of the crowd and once you hit your first few lines and they're good and you get that response from the crowd smooth sailing that's it it's the crowd the crowd's the most important part for me you know if if they're into it it feeds back to you and you're into it you know it's kind of ripping or into it or a bit a bit standoffish you know you do get them now and then like not that often, but you know, like if some crowds are like too cool. Yeah, we got uh, we got a cool question here. Joe says, "Ask Will if he remembers what he had on his first proper tour rider." Uh, no, <laughs> uh, God, I don't know. He'll, he'll he probably knows the answer. What's the answer, Joe? Boiled <laughs> eggs, cucumbers. <laughs> Probably. Crowd's yeah. not there, Will, by the one-two punch of going up and show a strength, and I, that, that crowd's just, they're lost. What? What's that? Oh, I, 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 I was just, oh, to what you were saying earlier about crowds, like if the crowd is not there after the one-two punch of going up and show a strength, then I don't know what I don't know what to tell that crowd, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they've been going down really good, then. Yeah, they're really good. Good openers, you know. Love doing show a strength. It's, it's kind of unusual, you know. It's epic. It really has an epic feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see that show, The Americans? They have pictures on my wall featured in that show with the girl. The girl from Ozark's actually in it. No, that was another. That's about the spies, isn't it? Yeah. Great show. Yeah. I love spy films. I don't like James Bond. I like where it's more like real, realistic. You know what I mean? Eric. Yeah, I think he just had, I don't know what he's doing. He's grabbing a, maybe he has to, uh, he had to step out for a sec. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. The la oh, I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, yeah, the, um, yeah, the, I want to watch that Americans thing. Cold War and that, isn't it? Yeah, it takes place in the 80s, kind of towards the, uh, the, the mid-80s, towards the end of the Cold War, and you really get invested. It's probably like, probably five or six seasons and the, the soundtrack overall for the show is amazing, but whoever was running the music on that, you know, they had pictures, uh, pictures on my wall during one scene. It's a real hellscape. I mean, it's a great song, but the, the contrast of what's going on is, is, uh, it was a really cool usage of the song. Well, that using music in films is, uh, a skill in itself, you know, getting it in the right place, the right thing. I've done some of that sort of worked on a little bit of a thing. Uh, but you can check 
thing completely. You do. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I was. I uh, I had a film class once, and we had to bring in a movie and show a scene that had iconic music, but but have it muted and see how it didn't have the same impact. And I chose um, uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, and yeah. uh, they had the, the iconic theme, you know, that he did. And I had it on mute, and it's just a guy walking around in a mask, and it didn't have the same, it didn't yeah. have the same impact without John Carpenter's iconic score, you know. Uh, oh yeah, my kidneys come back here, Joe. A bottle of brown ale and a curly whirly candy bar. Candy bar. <laughs> He's trying to live with the American lifestyle. <laughs> Alcohol and chocolate. <laughs> oh, that's great. Curly whirly. <laughs> What's a curly whirly? Is it like a? It's like a chocolate bar, but it's got holes in. And they used to be about that big. Now they're about this big. Everything gets smaller, doesn't it? Or unless you get bigger. <laughs> it's like something out of Willy Wonka or something. Yeah, it's like a. <laughs> So, Will, what are you uh, listening to now um, for bands? I mean, what's what's like? I know that's such a broad question, but what do you hear right now that makes you excited and, and keeps keeps you in the game of music and, and inspired? I've had the backtrack loads, really. You know, like I don't like this. You know, new bands they sort of they don't float me boat. You know, because I'm not I'm not seventeen or eighteen or whatever. So I'll you know feel odd like in a new band. Yeah, I like is the Brian Jones Sound Massacre, and they're like from like years ago anyway, you know. Right. I quite like the uh, Black Angel, I like that. I like that kind of like heavy, rocky kind of stuff that's like a bit droney, a bit Hawkwind, you know, the White Hills, I like them. Um, what in the Ships? Uh, what's the one? Spaceman 3? Yeah, well, yeah, that goes without saying, right, you know. Basement three is spiritualized and all that stuff. Yeah, for all that spectrum. Uh, but yeah, it's generally like older stuff that I, you know, maybe couldn't afford when I was a kid. <coughs> I get on Discogs and go find it. You know. There's a great quote on the back of your book, actually, speaking of uh, Brian Jonestown massacre from uh, Anton Newcomb. Yeah, and he says. Uh, uh, as a fan of the Bunnymen, I am terribly excited to read Will's take on the whole story, his story. And uh, I thought it was cool, too, man, to see uh, Flea on there, Courtney Love, uh, Billy Corgan. Um, I mean, all these artists that, you know, that your music has inspired. I mean, I saw The Killers a couple years ago. I don't think there would be The Killers without without your music and style. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And all these other bands do really well. <laughs> Coldplay? Yeah. But, you know, anyway, the, um, yeah, you know, like Flea was dead night. You know, I, um, he, he got in touch with me. And, uh, he wanted a copy of my book. And I, I already had it. So I showed him a picture of me reading his book. Saying, Stop interrupting me, I'm reading your book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. I know another fan of you guys. I don't know if you've. I'm sure you probably bumped into him, but uh, Mr. Doug Bradley from Liverpool. Who is played, it? Uh, Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead in Hellraiser. Oh wow! Yeah, he's oh. from he's from Liverpool. I don't, I don't know if you have never met him or. Huh? So Hellraiser was written by Clive Barker, wasn't it? Yeah, it's Clive Barker, wasn't he? He's from Liverpool as well. Yeah. 
So yeah, because he did that one about the. Um, didn't he do one about a carpet? What was that one called? Lord of Illusions. Could have been, and it was like some weird carpet where it was like all trippy and stuff. But I think that was based in around Liverpool. Oh, Weave World. I think that was Weave World. Well, yeah. And so I met Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead, and and you know he uh, just like yourself, he gets asked a lot of the same questions. But I was like, are you uh, are you in chance a fan of Echo and the Bunnymen? He's like, oh yes, I'm a big fan, and uh, I, I got sh- I've actually seen them several times. I'm like, so you don't get recognized, right? He's like, no. And uh, <laughs> I said, what's your favorite song? He said, Villers Terrace. Oh, great. great. So the Lord of Hell loves Villers Terrace. There you go. I haven't seen that film for years. I can't remember what happened. Oh, Hellraiser, yeah. They actually um, are doing a new TV series and a new movie. Um, so it's being... And Clive Barker's producing it, so I have high hopes. Right, right. I have high hopes. One of my favorite horror flicks. And and in your book, you talk about, you know, you're kind of influenced by uh, science fiction and sci-fi films. What are, are... Are there any that have come out in recent times that you have enjoyed, or...? Uh, sci-fi, yeah. I like... I quite like that remake of Dune. June, you know, it was not a lot different to the David Lynch one, though, was it? You know, really, it was. You know, I was expecting it to be quite different, but it was yeah, almost scene for scene, kind of the same. Uh, what else? Sci-fi. Uh, I've seen them all. I've seen like you know, that, 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 yeah, the other one called. Um, I do like sci-fi, but it's kind of more like the original Star Trek is my thing, you know. Oh yeah, the old school stuff. Yeah, I like. There was a TV series in England as well, which is dead relevant to what was going on now. Almost, it was called Survivors, and it was about a plague that was brought back by some scientist, you know, who got contracted this disease. And then went to a load of conferences around the world, like, you know, like a weird plague thing. And it was dead similar to the COVID. And it was in the 70s that this, it was a great series. It was a really good series. And it was like, it, you know, it was obviously a lot worse than the COVID thing. A lot of people died. Yeah. Started grouping together in kind of like militias and stuff like this. You know. The colonel that used to be in the army would take over some castle somewhere. But keep all the people out that were like, yeah, stop. Good. Have you seen V for Vendetta? Yeah, yeah. I had the, I had the original comic. I had the original comic Warrior, but it was in. It was in a comic called Warrior. And I had the original um, Tenet. Copies or whatever it was. I don't know. I don't know whether I sold them or I've still got them upstairs. I've got load of comics upstairs in the in the attic. You know, in a big plastic box. So hopefully, I might dig them out and have a lot more. I've got loads of two thousand AD and stuff like that. Yeah, and another another cool sci-fi flick actually. I just remembered was um, Dark City that had just a touch away in the soundtrack. That was a pretty cool movie. Did you ever see that one? No. no. It's. Um, I think Kiefer Sutherland's in it, um, Rufus Sewell maybe, and uh, it's about this uh, society that's basically run by an alien force that has these like humanoid type avatars that, that can read people's minds and uh, they have uh, just a touch away from Evergreen. 
in their wow. in the soundtrack. Definitely worth checking out if you like sci-fi for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember that one. It was kind of like a try and get guitar thing, wasn't it? And um, uh, Donald Trump's favorite Bunnyman song, Over the Wall. Okay. Over the Wall, Will. It's such a great concept. The wall. Over it. You just go over the wall. Or through it. Or right through it. Yeah. So, uh, so Will, uh, book, book number two, what does that look like? Are you working on that now? Because it sounds like you could potentially have three books, really. Yeah. The planet, like other minute, the planet's to do... Um... Crocodiles heaven up here, and then maybe book three would be like Porcupine Ocean Rain. But you know, it's I've started it, you know, I'm up to chapter three. Uh, it's when Pete the Great has joined, so it's all about that. You know. And his first gig was, um, as far as I can tell, his first gig was when we did a we did this like weird experimental uh, lineup with all madness and bad manners. So there was all these skinheads in the crowd and we didn't go down too well. They were all throwing bottles at us. And I think that might have been Peter Freitas' first gig. So I think it was all a bit shit, yeah. That's talk about trial by fire. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Pete Pete's a huge influence on my drumming as well. I'm, I've been a drummer for like twenty years and I love I love his style, man. What he does with the brushes and sometimes the lack of symbols and just unique and and uh i think very underrated in a lot of ways yeah well i think drummers that know about pete realize how great he is he's amazing really yeah. dead lucky to have him really but yeah, that was that was around the time of the the gray album right uh, maybe a couple years after the gray album that he that he yeah. passed in that accident. Yeah, yeah, it was grim, grim time. Um, yeah, and, and also Jake got killed in a motorbike accident as well. He's got a keyboard player. Uh, yeah, it's it just really it hits home, man. How all of us are, you know, we got we have uh, you never know when it's going to be our time, you know. But nope. certainly, you know, Pete's Pete's. Uh, Iconic drumming and efforts, you know, especially with the first four albums. I mean, all the stuff that he did with the Bunny Men is—it's it, forever immortalized. So it's, yeah, that's a great thing about it. Yeah, it's yeah, I suppose so. It's um, yeah, you know, you leave your stuff behind, don't you? So, but twenty-seven, yeah, that's too damn young, man. That's—it's hard to fathom that. I'm thirty-five, and I can't even fathom that. You know, I know. It's crazy. I hate that. You know that bullshit. Twenty-seven club. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. Forever twenty-seven. Nothing glamorous about that. That's for sure. Wilson Center. Kurt Cobain, another one, obviously, and Amy um, Winehouse. Yeah. Is that true, Will? That they were gonna uh, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana was gonna put in um, one of your tunes for. Uh, the unplugged there at, at you know Bonnie told me they were going yeah. to do it back oh cool and they, then, uh, they, I think they rehearsed it or something and then they went with uh, yeah they did the Bowie tune I think they did a couple Meat Puppets tunes did they yeah yeah that's what she told me about whether you know 
Who knows, right? <laughs> no, I think not. I don't think he's lying. I think maybe it was the. Um, yeah, he's a. Uh, it was pretty amazing that unplugged show, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was a. Uh, we kind of grew up with Nirvana too. We, I was, we were pretty young when he passed. Um, but yeah, through the '90s, I mean, Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana. Um, you know, we we got into bands like Green Day, uh, The Offspring. Um, uh, what was that? I just said, oh yeah, or just agreeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pumpkin, Billy Corgan's a nice fella. You know, I've met him a few times. Chicago generally run you know when we go to the uh, metro that club in, in Chicago comes to see us there if he's about you know have you caught any of his uh, wrestling acts no he's got he has a wrestling league uh, a furniture store and like a tea house he's into some pretty interesting stuff wow he's into wrestling like you know yeah he, yeah, he did a great couple years ago he did what Oh, sorry, you froze there, Will. Um, he he did a a pretty cool podcast with Joe Rogan a couple of years ago, and he really kind of went into the um, kind of the underbelly of the music industry. And he was very candid and honest about that. Yeah. So you know, I'm sure I'm sure you have plenty of stories yourself about uh, the darker side of uh, fame in the music industry. How, yeah. how how has that been for you, Will? Like some of the, have you kind of seen some of the darker stuff or more? Yeah, I've seen lots of dark stuff, but I don't get. I don't get involved or faced by it. I think it's all, generally it's all sh bullshit. <laughs> you know, yeah. stupid, stupid. Yeah, and it exists in every industry, of course. You know, um, record labels. I'm not keen. I'm not a big fan of record labels. Big record labels. I think, I think they've uh, sold all their artists down the river. You know, rarely. From the, um, you know, the streaming services and everything, like they're the ones that have allowed it. They're the ones that are getting most of the money. Yeah, um, between them and like you know the likes of Spotify and Idol and all them, you know Apple Music, what um, the record labels are coin in it, but the artists are not getting a fair crack of the whip. You know they're just not, and I think it's a disgrace that they've been able to do that. Just like sold of everybody down the river, yeah. and I when I do my like I do like that solo, stuff, you know. Uh, there's only one on Spotify at the minute. They're trying to get it off. It was when I did it with um, I did the label, I put a record out with a label called Cooking Vinyl, and they put it on Spotify. Away. I don't want any of my stuff on Spotify. I know it's like I'm like a little, you know, drop in the ocean, you know. I think if if like fans started refusing or demanding that they wear them things, because it's just it's it's ruining the whole thing. Like people aren't making any money, so it's not all about the money because the, the money comes into the production of making new records. You know, you've got to make a living of some sort. You know, like new bands, how are they gonna? Like it's different for us because we can do our live gigs and we can make money that way. But like a new band that can't make any money from a live gig, can't make any unless you become like massive, you know, like I mean ridiculously massive, you know, Beyonce style massive or whatever. That's the only time you can make any cash in the, these streaming things. So you're not gonna 
you know, carry it on as a career. Everybody's, it's just going to be like, I think there'll be a new thing will come along. I think there already has. I think it's already started. People are by, not bypassing them things and doing it themselves. And like, you know, likes a band camp. And also, um, like, you know, people putting stuff out that themselves, there'll be, there'll be a lot more of that. People will start bypassing these big labels, I think. You know, the, the, you know, they're not, they're not playing fair. Yeah, because that, that's your art, man. You guys are making your art, and you want to make it the best quality it can be. And I think that's one of the enduring things, you know, about the Bunny Men is, you know, in the '80s when you had the opportunity to use, and I think you've kind of touched on this, like the latest and greatest synthesizers and cheesy kind of drum machines, and you went in totally other directions, like especially with Ocean Rain. Yeah, well, we didn't like all the current sounds that were getting used. It was like a sort of a palette that everybody was using. You know, they all had these DX7 synthesizers, which, you know, I know it's Brian Eno's favorite synthesizer, but he knows how to program it. You know, most people are just using the preset sounds and they're like little bells and sparkly little crystal. <laughs> as soon as I hear anything like that, it's like, turn it off. You know, yeah, going a different direction, kind of. Yeah. You know, I like things to feel, even if it's a synthesizer, I like it to feel some sort of organic sound to it. You know, something a bit more real. Uh, yeah. You know. So, um, I had a chance, Will, uh, probably about a month ago, to hang out with Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, and um, you know, he's obviously a giant for music and everything, but also he's very active politically and, and other endeavors. And he was speaking about uh, the Middle East and Julian Assange. So um, a lot of people who watch my show, obviously big into music and that sort of thing. Um, and you being from England with Assange being over there right now, locked up, do you have any, any thoughts on Julian Assange? Uh, I'm really, I don't really know a lot about it. So I don't think I'm qualified to comment, you know, I know he, he's a whistleblower or something. Right. Yep, through WikiLeaks. Yeah, I don't really know what, what, what he did, really. I know he might have compromised the security of some people. I don't know. Yeah, they just put out all kinds of documents about uh, misdoings, you know, by the military and intelligence agencies and all that sort of sort of stuff. So Roger Waters is, you know, he's been speaking out about that. And it was it was just funny. He was up there and, and Roger was reading emails that he email exchanges he had with other huge musicians and stuff, kind of, you know, saying, where are you on this? And, and will you stand with Julian Assange? And um, I just thought it was interesting to see a musician of, of his following and in, in his his um you know profile to be doing that i mean i admi i definitely admire it i think it took a lot it takes a lot of guts to do that because i mean i'm sure as you've seen in the 40 plus years you've been in the music industry trends there's always trends with things whether it's fashion what kind of music you're playing or like politics and that sort of thing so i just i, I was just curious you know to hear your take on it but i haven't really followed his thing i'm not really qualified to discuss it <laughs> you know Sign the official secrets act on that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was cool. It was cool to meet him. I mean Pink Floyd. Are you a Floyd fan? I was playing Pink Floyd today when I was outside. You know, I was oh. jet watching and I had Pink Floyd on. I've got this uh, you know, nice big speaker. Um, I was I played uh all the early stuff, you know, even from like I'm a King B, that one. You know. Arnold Lane. 
generally play all that. Set the controls. So. Yeah, you, you turn on Lucifer Sam from one of their first albums. Yeah, I heard you talking about that. that. That's a cool that. track. I'd never heard that one before until I heard you talking about it recently. Well, that first, you should definitely buy that first album if you haven't got it. It's great. And the second yeah. one. But there isn't much said on it. You know, don't get a bit out there by that. Yeah, Sid's kind of more uh, on the first album, right? I think he really kind of wrote and produced the first album pretty much, right? Well, it was Hurricane Smith produced it. Um, he did. Uh, he did it. Yeah, not like a weird bill kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, speaking of Roxy Music, they just announced they're doing a tour for the first time in ten years. They're actually coming to Boston uh, this year. I think we might go with our buddy. So right. I've ne never seen them. I definitely, you know, interested to see them and Brian Ferry, of course. So they were they were pretty influential on a lot of your stuff, right? Oh, I love Roxy Music. They were one of my bands when I was a kid. You know, still are. I've got a big Roxy Music section in my records there, <coughs> and a Brian Eno section. Nice. And uh, yeah, no, another band, well, another musician, I, you know, I've heard you and Ian McCulloch certainly talk about is David Bowie. Um, and it seems like you got you got a couple of uh, albums signed by him, huh? Uh, 35. Oh. Singles. <laughs> wow. I think he was getting a bit fed up by the end of it because the first one is, well, that's with David Bowie and the end it's just like, I don't want to <laughs> it's just a scribble by the end of it. Yeah. That's an interesting one, a Russian one. Oh. That's the camera. Oh, you gotta move it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Wow. It's like a. Yeah, you can hardly see the signature on that. Well, yeah, they were. Uh... We did a tour with them, with Bowie, in like 1996. And I took all my records, I kind of wrote my box. And uh, he signed them all. Couldn't believe it. Like, a, I had to wait for a bit, you know. It wasn't like he did it straight away. I had got them back by the end of his song. And it's definitely, Right, so you kind of had to find oh, an opportune time. Oh, look at that. Wow. Like, you know, and it's all cover versions. Have you ever heard this one? Pin up. I don't know if I have. Oh, pin ups. No, I don't know if I. Uh, it looks like Ziggy Stardust era, though, right? Like mid 70s or early mid 70s? Yeah, it was. Um... Yeah. Yeah, it's a of what you know songs what he liked when he was a mod cool wow always love that suit <laughs> yeah yeah we never got to see bowie he did actually play here in uh, manchester new hampshire in 2004 and um one of my buddies went to the show but that that was uh i didn't make it to that one but um are, are, do you enjoy his uh his like later stuff, like the next day, and then of course his last album, Black Star. What, do you, what are your thoughts on those? Uh, I've got it, but I'm, I've never actually played it. I, I mean, 
too weird for me to you know i remember it, like i saw a couple of them videos he did you know yeah and they were a bit dis- then a bit distressing yeah black star i mean he he pretty much knew that he was he was sick and dying with cancer and when he when he did those videos i mean and he of course didn't announce it to the world until what his birthday week in 2016 in january or something like that yeah it was uh he he, he sort of uh stage managed his old death in a brilliant way yeah what he was like he was he was you know he knew how to work everything didn't he we kind of grew up with uh, Labyrinth, the Labyrinth soundtrack. <laughs> I haven't got that. That's one I haven't got. <laughs> I, I wouldn't think so. I'm sure. I'm sure you got Ziggy Stardust. You got Low. You got uh, all those, but probably not Labyrinth. No, I haven't got Labyrinth. I think it's worth a second look. I, I like, uh, like when and Les, our bass player. You know, early, you know, our first bass player was like we we used to love all the dead early Bowie stuff. You know, like Love You Till Tuesday and. Um, there is a happy land and all that, you know, off the, the really early stuff from the like, you know, mid sixties, you know, silly boy blue and used to love all them ones, you know, they were kind of like, almost like something off a musical or something, you know, you know, it was trying to be a bit, a bit of a Tony, uh, what's his name? Anthony Newley. It was like a, he's kind of like a music. Musical kind of singer. He was in, I think he was in Doctor Doolittle. Mm. You know, stuff like that. You know, Rex Harrison. Uh, yeah, was... but and he was actually married to Joan Collins at one point. I think. Oh, it was a big yeah. deal. But he was kind of like a Cockney kind of, you know, um, singer. He used to put a bit of Cockney kind of. You know, that which Bowie did as well early on. So, when you toured with Bowie, did you have any cool downtime with him or any like time hanging out with him, or was it just quick like you'd see him here and there? Yeah, see him, sound checks, and all that. I'd wander around. I spilt a drink all over him, like, which was not very good. <laughs> all that purple jumpsuit. <laughs> oh. Yeah. He was probably graceful, right? He was gracious. Oh, yeah. He, he's, well, he had no shoes on as well. And I dropped this glass and it scattered all over the floor. All the, all the beer went up him. And it was just about to go on. Oh, God, I've just bottled Bowie. <laughs> wow. Mac was laughing his head off. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> Have you uh, have you since seen uh, Annie Lennox since the since the famous van moving story that's in your book? No, she wouldn't remember any of that. You know what I mean? Probably not. You know, just go, uh, you know. But we were like, shit. We've met Annie Lennox. It's gonna kill us. That's a great story. Yeah, true though. True, we bounced it down the road. We couldn't get our stuff in. Sorry, honey, but you know. <laughs> No more I love yous. Sorry. <laughs> Did she have the orange hair back then with uh, Dave Stewart? Yeah, or she... Tourists, you know, it's when it was the tourists with Dave Stewart and that. It didn't sound like she was very happy and very pleased when you guys did that. Uh, she was like, fuming. Yeah. 
Oh, that's epic. Well, hey, Will, we're coming up on an hour and 15 minutes. And um, do we have a couple questions, Eric, from the, from the audience that we could maybe get in? Um, in yeah, just or... quick. Um, let's see. We kind of talked about this earlier. Would you ever play Empire State Halo live? I wish. I like that one. That's a cool uh, one from Evergreen, yeah. We did do it. You know, we did do it years ago. After work, I was again. A lot of these been so much the time, you know, it's like 20 odd years or whatever, you know, you, you've forgotten how to play it, you know, with all the sound, and you, you have to dial them all in again and work it all out bit by bit. Complicated. Can't just like say, oh, we'll do that tonight. You know, we'd have to spend a <laughs> um, I know right. Kate was mentioning experiences when you're a band. Uh, bands from outside the U.S. traveling here get extra catastrophic insurance because it's awful. So I guess she was probably wondering about uh, any instances when you were touring, if there were you had to go to a hospital or something, and what your experience was like versus England's healthcare system uh, against America's? Uh, I have been in the hospital over there a couple of times. Um, and it was always all right, you know. And I've, uh, I've been a dentist as well, and that was all right. Um, I, I hurt my foot one time. I've just got this weird, uh, like, tendonitis thing in my foot. It was killing me. I could hardly walk. And I went to see a doctor in, uh, in Los Angeles, and they give me some pills and in a couple of days it was all right but it was hobbling yeah and then kate said ken will tell the story about having to deal with the u.s healthcare system when ian broke his leg i don't know if that was something that happened or I fell off the stage in uh, santa barbara uh, um the, the theater there, what it's called he was dancing around he fell off the stage and he, he, i don't think he broke his leg but he hurt his leg you know, still carried on with the tour, so you know. Right. Yeah, that was uh, Dave Grohl talked about that in that documentary. He uh, he fell off the stage, and I think he broke his leg, and they just built him a throne, and they put a big throne on stage with the Foo Fighters, and he was up there with his guitar, with his leg up, and he still the show must go on. <laughs> you know, I've only ever missed one through injury. Me myself, I've only ever I'm, I, I put my hand in the sink. I bought these new knives really sharp cookery, you know, like Jeff's knives. And I plunged my hand into the sink and sliced a big chunk off my finger. And uh, they were going, well, just use your other finger. Like, this is my finger. This is, after you, I can't just start adapting the finger. That's like, that's me. You know. So in 40 plus years, you must have Really, I'd, I'd cancel the gig or couldn't do the gig, you know? Right, yeah, that's something to think about, right? Your, your, your job being a guitarist and washing dishes or just doing whatever you're doing with your hands that we all do, that, that's that's a whole other dimension of that. Yeah, well, I agree with plaster around it. How the hell can I play guitar like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you have to get the Ebo. The Ebo will do the work, like uh, in the margins. That's another one that I, I actually got to see you guys play a couple times with. Yeah, on the tour, uh, we we rehearsed it anyway. I don't know whether we actually played it. We did rehearse it. Yeah. So, so do you think for the upcoming tour there might be some changes to the set? I know you kind of mentioned it. It's very heavy on the hits, but do you think there might be a couple nuggets that might sneak in? Um, it's possible. Like we're 
you know, show of strength was going down well, and uh, what else have we been doing? Uh, I can't even remember now. It becomes like a big blur. It's like it's like a car flying past <laughs> people. Like we're, we're doing a gig on Tuesday. We haven't played for ages. But we're doing a gig on Tuesday. Um, uh, one of our gigs, the one we did in Leeds, we sort of had to cancel halfway through because Mac was, was ill. So we uh, bailed out on that one and we're going to go back on Tuesday. Oh, nice. Finish it off kind of thing, you know. Yeah. But, uh, we're going to have to run through the songs a bit tomorrow. Just... Just a live, a live gig or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've caught some of the streaming on the Bunny Men Facebook page. It's been really cool to see that you you had a like a DJ opening up for you guys, and then somebody was streaming the gigs. I Man, you guys sound awesome. Like you haven't missed a beat in two years. They're sounding really good. Yeah, we've got you know the everyone in the band's amazing. You know they're really good, really good. And um, it's a difficult thing to keep going. You know, like we. Yeah, we get a lot of people coming and going, you know. Um, it's hard to keep it sort of real, you know, because we, we want it to sound like how it, you know, should sound. Right, like, you know, on the, as close to the album as can be, or at least, yeah. you know. That sort of thing, yeah. So we're like, we were. What's that instrument you had have had up there recently when you do the chorus to the killing moon where you just kind of go ning, ning, you know you got it handy. <laughs> yeah. You must know these. It's a oh yeah. Yeah. Love and spoonful. <laughs> That easy, you just it's like it's called an auto harp, and you have like the, the buttons, like the, the loads of like, um, you know, all the notes basically across there. And then when you press the buttons, it deadens the notes that aren't in that chord, so it just like leaves them, you know. Hotel California, <laughs> cool. Yeah, we're actually going tonight to see um, the Mike Love version of the Beach Boys of Bruce Johnston. Are, are you a Beach Boys fan at all? I love the Beach Boys, yeah. How can you not be? Yeah. Yeah, yeah rock gods, you know. Yeah, that's it. It's an auto harp. That's an electric one, Matt. I used that on, uh, the first time I used one of them was on the B-side of Back of Love called Fuel. You know that track, Fuel? I've heard of it. I don't know if I know that one so well. Yeah, it was a B-side. I just did it in, in uh, probably, you know, I had a little uh, four-track machine. Or might have been it. And that was a four-track. We did it on a four-track. But you can, you know, with them things, you can record three tracks, then bounce it onto one track. Then you've got four tracks left. Then you do three tracks, bounce it onto the other, and you've got, like, two more tracks. Left. So you can actually get, you know, more than four tracks on there. You oh, know. cool. It's, so it's like you send it. Like a play, the record is like play and record at the same time. You have that all going on. Um, yeah. Uh, when was um, 
when did you guys do See the Horizon? I think that's a B-side that I, I really like. I think it was maybe around What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? Is that – do you remember that one? No. <laughs> that has a really cool guitar line, a really cool electric guitar intro that you do. Yeah, that, that's one of one of my uh, favorite, I guess, more obscure ones from the 90s. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize the title, but that's about it. Yeah. Bill's like, I don't know that one. <laughs> that's – yeah, I think that was from that era, but I know you've kind of said publicly that that's not that wasn't your favorite album to record. But I, I um I really enjoy Baby Rain and Get in the Car and and even Rust, of course. Um, but yeah. not not your favorite album, huh? It's a bit nice, isn't it? Candle End Part Two, I've heard it called. Could be. <laughs> Well, I always enjoy it and, and, you know, I appreciate it. And I, I do a lot of covers in my band and a lot of the times you kind of have to do songs the crowd wants to hear, even if you don't like it yourself. So I, I can kind of understand, I can understand where you're coming from. The ones we play, you know, on the gigs, I love them all, you know, so there's not a problem with that. You know, I play the quarter and killing moon forever, you know, I just, and it's down to the crowd, you know, it's like the crowd love them. So that's good enough for me. Who am I to say, Oh, I'm bored with that, you know, it's like, isn't it? and I'm not bored with it, you know, like every time I've come to do that solo bit and Killing Moon, I'm like, shitting myself, I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not difficult, but it is difficult, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's a 12 string on that, It's and I, I use that finger, that one, <laughs> and it's like, it's very easy to like wrong way or go a bit wrong, you know. Is that the Jaguar? No, it, um, it was the Vox 12 string. Vox. But I've got like a sort of copy of it now, which actually stays in tune better from their Phantom and Phantom guitars in Portland. And it, you know, it looks the same and it sounds pretty much the same. But it's just a lot easier to play than the original one, you know. Yeah. That recorded um, when we did that solo thing. That was recorded just with a mic. It wasn't through an amplifier. So I had like a couple of mics, one here and one like over here or something, and I had to play it like in a cramped little vocal booth thing. Um, and it was just recorded. Like like a sort of an acoustic sound, you know. It wasn't through an amplifier. The solo on the original Killing Moon track from yeah, yeah. Well, it's got a weird sound that's you know, it was just acoustically recorded. It's like an electric guitar, but getting recorded acoustically. Did you do the same thing on My Kingdom? No, that was uh, that that lead on that one was actually through a radio. I had I had this old radio. Still got it called the Blaupunkt, it's a German, I think it was a German radio, big old valve radio, and in the back, you could plug things in, you know, like a tape recorder or something, you could put it through the radio, use the amplifier in the radio, but you could actually plug in, um, I discovered that you could plug in a guitar, but it was so, like the gain on it was so high, it made that fizzy sound, that's, it's actually an acoustic guitar, but you know, one of these acoustic guitars with a mic, Phone in it. it was a washburn it was we got given all washburn guitars around about that time um so and they had like microphones in them 
so they were sort of acoustic, but they had a, you could plug them in to put them through an amp. And uh, it was just dead distorted, you know, and I love that sound. It ripped. Like what what I was trying to do was, you know, that one house is not a motel by love. No, I don't think I know that one. You know, thoughts get it's like a guitar solo that comes in dead loud and then it just sort of stops. It was kind of like my idea of trying to be like like love, you know. Do you not know love? Arthur Lee, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know a lot by them. Um, I know before he passed, uh, uh, one of my friends actually toured with him. Um, uh, Proben Gregory, who plays with the Beach Boys, and Brian Wilson, he got to go out with Arthur Lee in love, and he's got some cool experiences and stories. But I haven't, I haven't done a deep dive into their stuff, but I, I uh, definitely should, along with the early Pink Floyd stuff. I'm gonna now. Yeah, you want to get well. You might as well start with Forever Changes, which is like one of the best LP. Yeah, it's endless. Will have you have you heard um, from Les or Ian if they read your book? If they plan on reading it, um, Les liked it. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll get nice. We'll <laughs> good deal. Good deal. Well, yeah, we're co we're coming up on ninety minutes. So, um, Will, I just I appreciate you, man, taking this time with us and giving us your time and and, and talking to us. Um, you know, before we go here, you want to just tell people where they can find your stuff and, and what you're up to and, and how they can follow you and support your work. Uh, not any stuff. What stuff? The book. You just buy it. <laughs> yeah, it's, in the, it's in the shops in America. It's available where books are sold, everybody. Like from Third Man. Third Man Records, they sell it, you know. That would say it's on there. It's Third Man Books, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so cool. And, and if you're coming to um, Boston, like you said, in September, man, we definitely, Jackman Brothers will definitely want to get there and see you guys like we always do. And, and having a Bunny Men show to look forward to is, is uh, that's huge. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a look at that beer as well. Oh, yes. We're going we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, to uh, bring Erica, the owner, and, uh, and uh, get you some, some ice cap fire. But it's going to be cold, so it's going to be a good... Uh Oh yeah, it's a, it's bunny men style, yeah. you know. It's going to be obscured. Like Americans always think we have warm beer. Nonsense. It's like it's not warm. It's just not freezing cold, you know. It's room it's temperature, not, right? It's it's not room temperature. It's it's but it's not freezing. It's not like as cold as you know. You there, but you know, in lager at lager and stuff like that. That'd be cold, but bitter is. It's not warm, but it's not, not um, you know, it's cold. Is uh, do you is that your favorite, like uh, like a Newcastle, or do you like Pilsners, or what's your favorite type of beer? Bitter, really. It's called bitter. And, um, there's a few of them, you know. I like uh, my local pub does Tetley, which is uh, always nice. Like they have a creamy head up it. Go to London, you get a beer. But I don't know what they do. The way they pour it, it's like. We're in the north, you get a head like a, you know, a bit like a Guinness, you know, that sort of thing. You get like a creamy head. That sounds delightful. Yeah. Uh, Beer is definitely my favorite. Uh, and uh, we're spoiled because we live right across the street from a really good Thai restaurant, an ice cream shop, and a brewery with really good quality beer. So, um, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Post and beam. 
you know, craft beer thing has gone nuts, hasn't it? You know, everybody and their mother's got a brewery here in, in America. <laughs> IPAs are popular. I'm not really an IPA guy. I love a Kolsch, like uh, Ice Cap Fire. I love um, lagers, pilsners, and I think here in the states, what maybe you guys call it bitter, we might call it sour. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I've never come across that. Like I know, I know, like that Sam Adams is something like. It bitterish a bit, but not quite the same. They go. It's not fizz. Bitter isn't fizzy. It doesn't have any fizz to it. You know, it yeah, can be, it can be like kind of lively, but it's not like a lager or American style beer where it's like got a fizz to it. You know, if you if you can get it over in England, try Sam Adams Porch Rocker. That's a pretty good. It's got like some lemon shandy going on, and on a hot summer day, that's good stuff. All right. Well, I guess on that note, folks, we're going to end things here with Will Sargent, the legend, one of the greatest guitarists walking the earth, an author, a musician, um, someone who's worked on soundtracks, uh, uh, you know, an artist. Will, thank you so much for joining us and uh, can't wait to see you guys back in the States in a few months. Nice one. You forgot Jet Washer. Jet Washer. <laughs> motorcycle enthusiast. Jet washer drive. He's gonna you're gonna you're gonna open the show with a jet washer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Folks, cool. thank, thanks for tuning in and uh, please hit that subscribe button and go follow Will. Buy his book. It's an awesome book. And uh Echo and the Bunny Men, one of the greatest bands, one of my favorite bands. So thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time on Jackman Radio. Thanks a lot. See ya. Thank you.